They have been told not to eat it. If they did, they could die. They saw, though, that it looked good. And the deceiver came, prompted by his own pride and arrogance, his own greed, and told them that the person who told them that they would die if they ate it had lied to them, that he didn't care about them. And so all the more they looked at that thing hanging there and decided, let's eat. And they ate. And while they did not die immediately, there were consequences. Immediately they felt a chill. Their body was uncomfortable, discomfort that they had not known before. And they sought to mask themselves from each other, to hide from each other, to isolate from each other. But it was too late. They had contracted the disease. The authority confronted them and expelled them, lest they can uh, spread that disease to others. But it was too late. They were forced to leave their home, the only home they knew, and to fend for themselves. Everything was drudgery. Death was slow to come, but not before they passed on that disease to their children and from their children all the world. Millions have died, many alone, afraid, with no hope. But all that time, the authority had a cure and knew that the cure would take time to develop. And in time, the cure was developed. Now, if you're thinking I'm talking about the legendary bat wing soup and COVID, you're a little wrong. First of all, it's legendary, the bat wing soup. They don't know what actually led to this, but I'm talking about a greater pandemic, one that has affected 100% of humanity and one that has 100% death rate. Oh, not immediate, but the death rate all the same. Of course, I'm referring to Adam and Eve, how Satan deceived them and in the very act of deception set into motion God's plan. Just consider a little bit the irony. There is a pious legend that God had revealed to all the angels his entire plan. Well, some of it, but not going into all the detail. That he was going to send his son to redeem a creature that he was going to create. That was going to be like him, made in his image and likeness. Having a body. And being able to choose. And Satan said, I will not worship God made man. And so he did everything he could to try to thwart humanity, to pull humanity away from God, and in doing so, tricked them, well, deceived them. They tricked themselves. And in tasting that forbidden fruit, the, the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, they were separated from themselves. They hid from themselves and from each other. And suddenly, as we know, disease, death, darkened intellect, and the desire to sin entered the world. And we all have the effects of it. And that we're separated by that original sin from God for all eternity without a cure. But God had the cure 
It was the very thing Satan wanted to stop, that God would become man. That's what we celebrate this day, God becoming man. I actually became man at the incarnation, that first moment of the incarnation at the Annunciation, but now revealed to us, born as a baby, with all that means. Somebody pointed out yesterday in a podcast that I was listening to, that meant that Jesus had dirty diapers. That meant Jesus had, was perfectly normal in all ways, except he was supernatural, he was God-made man. But everything that is good about humanity, he had. Because God's plan was to be enacted by somebody who was God, but could only be enacted by somebody who was man. That God would give his life for the human race. As much as we cringe, maybe, thinking about this little child who was born for us that we celebrate this day dying on a cross, that's exactly why he came. In fact, the two main feasts of the church year, Christmas and Easter, Easter is the highest. Easter is the most important. And Christmas is important. You cannot have the death without the birth. But it's Easter. That's the cure that Christ offers his life on the cross and in doing so opens the gates of heaven and all who accept him, all who come to him receive grace and place of grace as we'll hear in a little bit in the, at the Mass of the day from John, the prologue. Grace and place of grace. That while this life is good, there's something more. And we, this year more than any other, perhaps we're, we've been doing so much to preserve and to prolong this life, this natural life, We've been maybe hiding, fearful, isolating ourselves from each other, uh, even families isolating from each other because of the real presence of the virus in the family. We've been hiding, and we've been doing everything we can working for a vaccine. Well, some of our scientists, IU perhaps, not not actually working for a vaccine, but hoping for one. And all the time, the Lord has been waiting for us to recognize there's there's a greater pandemic, one that ignores him, one that denies him, one that does not find hope in him. As important as this vaccine might be, the gift that we've received this day is greater. The vaccine prolongs our life for Only God knows how long, but not in eternity. The gift we receive today is not a prolongation of this life, but the promise of eternal life. Everything that we sing on this Christmas, all of our Christmas songs or Christmas carols hint at that. If you listen closely, you hear even redemption itself is a promise of eternal life. The God and man are reconciled. The God and man are made one. The God becomes man. As the church fathers tell us, we have to be careful when we say this that we don't think higher of ourselves than we are, but God became man so that man may become God. 
that we can share the very life of God. The Holy Family understood that Mary and Joseph, as they looked upon the Lord Jesus' face, understood that God had revealed himself to them. And these next days, really, the 12 days of Christmas only begin today. They don't end, thank God. But the 12 days of Christmas are days to walk closer and closer and closer to a deeper understanding what that incarnation means for us. Today in this gospel passage, we hear the shepherds who come and they share with joy that news that they've received. This year, we've been looking to our politicians, we've been looking to our doctors and nurses, as important as sometimes those people are. But this day reminds us that it's to the lowly that God often reveals himself first, to the humble. There's no one more humble than a shepherd. No one who would have been so easily dismissed as a shepherd. And yet it's to those that Christ came to be revealed first. He's revealing himself to us this day too. He's inviting us to come to his manger, and not the manger in Bethlehem, but the manger here, the manger that as we gather, we see him again. And we remind ourselves of how he is the cure for the human disease of original sin and how he's already given us that cure. There's an adage that you've perhaps heard, the best way to keep Christmas is to keep Christ in Christmas. That's only half true. The best way to keep Christmas is to keep the Mass in Christmas. Because that's what Christmas means, Christ's Mass. This day, as we gather, we see Christ revealed to us again in this Eucharist. Christ revealed to us becoming flesh again for us, that we may have the cure for all that original sin has caused, that we may live in communion not only with God, but with each other, no longer isolated, no longer blaming each other or hiding from each other. While we may be physically masked this day, no longer masked metaphorically, but able to reveal who we are as God's beloved creatures who are redeemed by so great a Savior. We have a cure. It is Jesus who was born for us.